Proverbs says that pride comes before destruction. Has the pride of America expanded so rapidly that the church should be expecting destruction? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. It's easy to look at the actions that America does through a distorted lens. You know, for so long we've been taught, the church has spoken of, that America is a just and good people. And so we can look at our actions and just assume that they're just and good because we're a just and good people. But you look at some of the things that have happened recently, and it's really hard to to put that into the American perspective and say that, yes, we're good, even though you have things like Ukraine where Russia invades it. And so we go, we can supply all these weapons to Ukraine and we're good because that's just evil. Or even recently in the last couple of weeks, there's been a drone attacks on the Kremlin, which could very well result in, you know, World War Three. I mean, these are serious things, but yet, and if it is Ukrainian, which it looks like it probably was, that was clearly done with U.S. You know, support because there's no way Ukraine's going to do something without the U.S. sanctioning it if, if they're doing it. The U.S. thinks it can do whatever it wants to with impunity, and there's no one that can stop it in the world. So how much does pride drive American policy, and what should we expect the results to be? So I think part of it is, is when you look at these, some of the things you listed, there's a part of it where you could say, how are these things driven by pride? But I want to look at the specific things you said, because if you think of yourself as good and just, and if you think, and if you're proud, there's a part of where the heart of pride is, is you think you're in the place of God. And if you're in the place of God and you're good and just, there's nowhere, whatever you desire, whatever you want to accomplish is what you should do. You should go and do these things. There is no limit to where you should not stretch forth your hand. You should go into the world and do these things. And so there's this part of it where if we're really embracing pride, all those things you're talking about, we're doing them because we're saying these are good things. These are our will, and we're exerting our will in the world. And that is really where pride takes you, is it, take, is it causes you to look at your actions and go, whatever I choose to do is a good thing. Whatever I want to do is a good thing. And when you see God's, you look and you go, there's no one, like you said, there's no one that can stop me. There's no hand that's, that's holding me back. There is nothing to prevent me from what I'm doing. You're like Nebuchadnezzar when he looks out over his kingdom and you go, look at all these things that I've done. And you think of yourself in the place of God. And that's, and the verse here, I think, you know, Pride leads to destruction. God will destroy you. Basically, the question becomes, when will he destroy you, not if he will destroy you? Because if you take that position of pride, he's basically going, there will be a point where your pride is such that I will destroy you for my great glory, and I will show the world that you are not in my place. I mean, you used the example of Nebuchadnezzar, the one that came to my mind as you were saying that was actually Pharaoh. Sure. Because Pharaoh goes, by my strong arm, I will do this. And God says, I'll show you whose arm's strong. Right. I mean, that's the, the beginning part yes. of Exodus over and over and over again. It's this idea of Pharaoh going, I've got a strong arm. No one can stop me. And God going, yeah, watch and, and see. And even for this, for this reason, I have raised you up to show that you are not in my place. Yeah, so in, in Romans where he says that that is the reason that he raised up Pharaoh was just so that people could see that – that, yeah, Pharaoh thought that he could rule the world, and he found out, no, he can. His his strength all comes from God. I mean, the the one that, that comes to my mind as he was talking was actually, it's I believe it's Assyria, 
in the book of Isaiah where Assyria is going through and they're just wiping out everybody around them. And and Isaiah is interpreting that as God is using Assyria as his executioner. And he's, I think it's actually God that says, since when does the axe raise that's exactly as right. against the hewer? You know, and, and so this is a case where, hey, God may be using the United States for his own end, but if the United States is proud about that, you know, their destruction's imminent as well. And I think part of it is, is you read about these, you know, you read the Bible, you read these other nations, and you read about them doing it, you read about God destroying them, and then you turn around and you're in your nation and you go, but we're not like that. And that's really a problem. I mean, it's, it's so easy the to The scary go. thing is you look at a lot of ways and we're not like them, we're worse. Right. We have more knowledge. We have more knowledge of the scripture. We have more knowledge of God's will. We have a lot more people that have an understanding of who Christ was and what he came for. And that yet we still embrace all these things that God says, I destroy nations for this. So, I mean, for example, if you want to look at scripture references, Leviticus 18, starting in verse 26. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done, who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. I mean, you think some of the context here is this passage in Leviticus is one where God has just listed a whole bunch of really vile sins. And he's saying, these are all things that the Canaanites have done. And, you know, he's, he's been very patient with the Canaanites until the iniquity of Canaan was complete. Yep, but there was a time where he was just marking their judgment out, and here it is, he's done with Canaan, and he's going to allow Israel to come through and wipe them out because of these sins. And yet at the same time, there's this warning of, don't fall into those same sins. Don't follow their gods, or the same thing's going to happen to you. And some of those sins were adultery. Some of those sins were sodomy. Some of those sins were sacrificing their children to idols. Some of those sins were all the sins that we participate heavily in the United States. It's not like we should look at this and go, these are strange sins that the Canaanites were doing, and we don't do anything like it. No, actually, we do exactly the same sins that God said he judged them as a people, he destroyed them as a nation. He He gave the promised land to the Israelites for doing the same thing. And they're very much what America does. And as a part of it where when you read that verse, I mean, you have to either go, God didn't, God did this because that land was a holy was land and was a special land, or God is holy and God judges nations. Because, I mean, you, you either, I mean, you have to. And the it's issue, right, it comes down, it really comes down to Matthew 28. You could potentially argue that maybe it was that way then. But when the promised land gets expanded from being, you know, from the river Euphrates to the river of Egypt to the whole world, which is what Matthew 28 is about, that the promised right. land expands to be the whole world. That's the inheritance of the people of God becomes the whole world. And so you now have to say, if it used to, and I don't think that was the right reading then either, because right. when you read Isaiah and all the curses on the various nations, but even if you read it that way, you have to say now it does apply to the whole world after Christ. Right. I mean, it's something you definitely see a lot of in the Old Testament. I mean, I don't ru- haven't run the numbers, but there's almost as much prophecy against all the nations around Israel for those their own sins that often don't involve Israel at all, and there is prophecies against Israel. 
you know, when you read through the prophets. I mean, there's a, it spends a lot of time prophesying against the, the nations around them. Even how you interpret Scripture is an element of pride. I mean, there's this part of it where when you, you know, you either go to Scripture and you say, God is telling me who he is, or you go, I can go to Scripture and I can make God be who I want him to be. And I think we just, we forget that, that all of these things play into pride. All of, because in the end, the church is, the church is a big part of what drives the nation. The church is a big part of how the nation is restrained in its sin. And so there's this part of it where when the church says, I'm going to deny these verses, where God says he will destroy, when people go, the sin of, the sin in the world doesn't affect you. It's just personal. You can't legislate what people do in their bedrooms. And God says, what they do in their bedrooms, I will destroy the nation for. And you go, I don't believe God. I'm going to believe the person who says, it's none of my business. And there's just, there's just a real, that's pride. That is pride. And so as we're, you know, comparing, you know, the sins of our nation and what the Bible says about nations that do, have done those same sins, and we're comparing that to the pride in our nation, you know, I think there's, there, we should acknowledge, you know, some premise that we're operating off of, which is that pride is a bad thing. <laughs> because yes. a lot of people, and we have a whole episode on that, we'll try to put in the description, you know, where we go into more detail about this. But, you know, the short summary is that the Bible actually doesn't have good things to say about pride. It doesn't have a good pride and a bad pride, you know, a good pride in your nation and a bad pride in yourself or anything like that. The Bible is anti-pride. Now, that's not to say that, you know, but so, but what is pride? If, if we say pride is thinking of yourself higher than you ought to, it doesn't mean that you have to adopt the false humility and say, well, the, the United States, you know, we're just as power powerful as Liechtenstein, you know, we're about, you know, we're both nations, you know, what we can't be proud and say we're stronger. You know, there are points where you can say, you know, we're, we have, we're thankful for what God has done in our nation, where, you know, we acknowledge the place that we have been given by God in the world, but that doesn't mean that we should be proud. What, whatever pride means, whatever proud means, we should not be that thing. Right. Well, I mean, you said that was a summary. I'll give a shorter summary. The meek shall inherit the earth, right? I mean, that's that's what the Bible says. Those are the ones that, those are the ones that ultimately that don't get cast out are the meek. And so, when you look and say, "Yeah, let's build up the pride of this country," and I think the church has spent a lot of times over the last forty, fifty, sixty, seventy years doing that, trying to exalt the nation, say how important the nation is, and God says it's the meek that inherit the earth, not the ones that are puffing up. And Moses, the meekest man on earth, he faced down Pharaoh and stood before him and spoke the words of God, led a people out of, you know, led millions of people out of Egypt, understood. And bowed down before God and banged. Right. And so, I mean, when you, when you look, there was, you can't look at him and go, he wasn't humble. And you also can't look at him and go, he was not cognizant of the authority that God had given him and the responsibility God had given him. So humility can clearly encompass all those things. Meekness is not. Meekness is not, like you said, a, a fake sort of humility. I mean, like Joshua said, we're going really basic here. Pride is bad. Proverbs 16, verse 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And I think that the church should really pay attention to that verse 19. Because I think a lot of times they go, oh, yeah, we're not proud. But boy, America is a special nation in the history of the world that we... Look at our leaders. We were founded as a Christian nation. We have all these wonderful leaders, 
when you look back at him, and you know, John Adams was a Unitarian. He wasn't a Christian. He knew nothing about God. I mean, he he rejected God. He was a very carnal man. Jefferson the same way. Jefferson thought he was wiser than God. And you look at a lot of the founding fathers, they were pretty far from being righteous men in terms of the idea of having repented and believed in God. Now, there's no question that the Great Awakening had a real influence in our country. But to turn around and, like, yeah, there's plenty of ministries that like to really puff up the American history, and they rewrite it and they distort it in order to be able to do that. Not that there weren't righteous men that had really significant influence, but there were a lot of unrighteous ones that lied and said they were righteous that were about as righteous as a Donald Trump. And it's not at all either to say that there are not real, obvious, and tangible ways that you can say that God blessed America and that God sure. was and that God was merciful to America in ways that He wasn't to other nations, and it, it would be wrong to to downplay that because that would be ungratefulness. Right, and God judges for ungratefulness in the same categories He judges for pride. So, but I do think that that the church, you know, I've heard plenty in plenty of churches, almost this idea that that America is the new Israel. And that's a really dangerous place to be when you start to say that America is not just one among the nations, that we have been blessed. We have been blessed with knowledge from the Great Awakening, and we have been blessed with the people who came from Europe that had reformed soteriology, unlike you know, most of the countries in Europe drove them out and they came to America. So that was a tremendous blessing. But to turn around and say, therefore, our leaders were Christians, not hardly. I mean, because when you were talking about the different things that God has done for America, and one of the reasons why I referenced, you know, Babylon early on is you could say all of those things about Babylon in a sense, not in the same way that there were like godly men who founded it, like Daniel. Well, I'm saying who founded it. <laughs> Daniel came in and got. I mean, God brought pretty early. I'm just saying you you don't have this, but I'm saying, but in the end, God showed God showed a lot of ways greater favor to Babylon than he has to the United States in some ways. The Bible says that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar, whatever it entered into him to do, that he could do. He had absolute freedom to do things that God had given him. So, I mean, when you look at it, you could say the blessings of God were on Babylon, and if you want to think about those things and say in the same way they were with America— that's a pretty good way to think about it because it's only does, America, you know, in the statue, America was not the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar right. was right, and so that I mean, and that's that's really really important. Is if you can wrap your head around that, it's that God was glorifying Himself and and glorifying His name by those blessings. I mean, I think it's really easy to forget. I mean, Paul references this in in Mars Hill and Acts, but Deuteronomy thirty two eight. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. God set the nations in place so that from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, there would be the elect, that there would be the ones that are of the true Israel. And that's what Paul says when he's talking in, in Greece, that God made from one blood all the people, and that you know that every tribe, every tongue, every nation has, has people that will be saved or are saved. In it, and yet America, I think we look at ourselves because of the blessings of God, because of certain things that happened in the past. I think the church tends to look at us as a very special people, and instead of looking at us as we actually are. I mean, that's something that America has done for for a really long time. You know, probably back to the 1600s, there were elements of that that were already already in there, and since then, you know, it's ebbed and flowed over the years. Where you know, the, the we've thought of ourselves as something. You know, very. You know, they were in a different class than other nations. 
you know, and, and, and in certain ways we we are, but not not to the extent that it's frequently thought of. And it's something that, you know, has gotten us into trouble at various points, you know, in our history where, you know, we were so confident that we were righteous, you know, not considering whether that was actually the case. I think the church isn't looking at the information, the evidence that's surrounding us and looking at it and saying, we are not a nation that is in any way righteous. I mean, we look at what's happened, you know, and I think Obergefell, that decision legalizing sodomite marriage, that was a pretty big shift. But you have Lawrence versus Texas and other things where it became illegal to stop sodomy. Well, God says real significant things when a nation won't do anything about sodomy. And yet all of a sudden we made those decisions, but then we turn around and we think that we're a special nation that has some special appeal to God. Well, that's not what the word of God says. Part of the reason that we're doing this podcast is just because we've got Pride Month coming up. It's the Pride Month is talking about a pride in a particular, a particular kind of sin or a particular collection of sins. But just back up for a moment and read who are you in the story. You're, you are the person in the story who lives in a nation that wants to celebrate pride. Forget whatever the content of that pride is almost for a moment because doesn't matter. You can read what Scripture says about pride and say, okay, pride's bad, and here we are as a country saying, hey, we're proud. Pile on top of that, the thing that we're proud about in particular are the vile sins that God says, hey, I've destroyed nations for this. The line has vomited people out because of it. And that's where we are. So just kind of start with that and say, that's our country. That's that's the people that we're part of. When you look at Romans 1, right, because... Pride Month is not about a general pride. It is about pride and sodomy, right? I mean, that's what it's about. And when you look at that, God actually says exactly what that means, right? It means that you don't want him as God. You want to pretend like you're God. I mean, that's what it's about, pretending like you're God. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged a natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves a penalty of their error, which was due. So when we as a nation embrace pride, and we're not just talking about that it's a fringe group like it was when it started, where, I mean, it was incredibly perverse when the, the gay pride parades. I mean, they were blatantly against the law. There was nudity. There was sex acts on the street. There was all this stuff. I mean, that was very standard when it started. And now it's to the point where most companies do something to it. Large companies, obviously, not small companies. But large companies do something to acknowledge it. And we just need to understand what that means is that as a nation, we have said, we have bought the lie that there is no God that we are replaced it and said, the country is God, the country is righteous, the government is God. But fundamentally to the pride month is a rejection of God and putting something else in its place. That's what God says. That's the sign that you have to remove God and put something else in its place, in his place. And when you look at this idea of, you know, women removing their natural course and men and changing it and so that men lie with men and women lie with women, when you reject God, you can't reject God without rejecting the gospel because God is where you get hope in the gospel. 
And so when you reject God, then you reject the gospel. And when you reject the gospel, you reject the idea of marriage, one man and one woman, because that's a picture of the gospel. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So when we say, you know, marriage is different, when we say that it's okay for man two men to lie together as a man lies with a woman, when we say that, we are inherently rejecting the gospel, and we're saying that salvation has to come from some other means. And it, when churches, right, how many churches embrace it? It's not just the corporations, and it's not just the government. It's, it's as a people, we have to accept that as a people, we accept this. And, it's, and it is worshiping the creature rather than the creator, because in the end, the creator is the one who said, this is what you are. And the creature is saying, no, we get to say what love is. We get to say what marriage is. We get to say, we get to say that we, you know, that you can have two gods. We can have, you know, two men coming together because it's as opposed to God being joined to his bride, you can have two gods, you can have two churches, you can have two, you can, you can pervert the image and it doesn't matter. It's what we want. It's all that, you know, it's, we have to be able to, to pursue what we desire. And Obergefell basically very specifically said that because a man made love a man instead of a woman, therefore that love is more important than anything in creation, which makes it, it's exalting that, and it's by law, by at least by a Supreme Court decision, which is hardly law, but by a Supreme Court decision, we have now legislated that man controls nature, man controls reality, which... I mean, that's the definition of being God is when you control reality. And when you look at man as the when you look at man as being a slave to sin, you understand what they have done is they have legislated that man is now subject to that to that slave master. I mean, you know, I mean, this this is where God set God was constraining man's sin by saying, I'm going to define this. And now that because in the end, man isn't in control of his desires. Man isn't the arbiter of his desires. Now that, you know, they're going, as soon as you let this, you know, you're going to end up having, it's going to shift and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, um, you know, that you can change your gender. It's going to be that you can have, uh, you know, adults attracted to children. They're, no, 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 this isn't true. This isn't true. But man is not. You mean minor, minor attracted persons? Minor attracted, right. And so, I mean, and, and, and of course that's not going to happen. Of course that's not going to happen. And of course it's happening because in the end, Man is not the one who is in charge of his desire. Man is a slave. And they have ensured that man is now further enslaved to that. But at the same time, they're calling him God even while they're a slave. I mean, right. Right? which is the picture of Satan, right? I mean, Satan is a slave of God, but at the same time, he is so confident that he is in charge. And so that is the heart of being satanic, and that's very much where our country is going. And what you have is... When you when you replace God as being the creator and the the one in charge of nature, and you put man in that position, you end up losing nature because man is very very bad at actually controlling nature like God controls nature. In fact, nature just sort of disappears, and that's what we see with the all of ge- the gender confusion. Is now all of a sudden there are no distinctions anymore. There are no categories. It becomes whatever man would like to mold it into being, and then it, it just all slips through your grasp. There's nothing left. And specifically redefining the image of man, right? It says in Genesis one twenty seven, 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so with the gender stuff that's going on, I mean, it's very specific. God created men and women so that we could understand who God was. We could see his image in the world. And now, very deliberately, very intentionally, the government and a large percentage of people are basically very deliberately going, that is not true. That is a lie. That is not who that's not the nature of creature, creation. That's that's just complete distortion. And so in doing that, they are working very deliberately, very intentionally, even though they don't understand what they're doing, they're working very intentionally to destroy the image of God. Well, because they don't have the image of God as a reference anymore. Right. All they have is all they have to define man is the image of man. And you can't you, you've got nothing to hang on there anymore. Just philosophically when you're trying to define a thing by itself you there's there's nothing left and that's how you're going to end up with this kind of confusion where men aren't men and women aren't women and or they can be whatever you want them to be and you just you just lose it all continuum and all these things that are blatantly false and reality isn't a check on it even because their zeal to destroy it's a certain check on it, but their zeal to destroy it is such that they, because they believe a lie, that they reject God and they believe a lie, they work incredibly hard and spend an incredible amount of energy and they use incredibly strong drugs and they do surgery on children and they do all these things to prove that their lie is real. To suppress the truth and unrighteousness. To suppress the truth. I mean, like Paul said in Romans 1, reality is a check on it in the sense that they received in themselves a due penalty of their errors. You know sure. that that all that you get at the end of this train is death and destruction. You don't get lovely new blossoming things out of it. You just end up in this this horrible, horrible situation. The thing is, is you have to take this back and understand that all of this is pride, and because it's it's right. so easy to look at it and go, this is just people chasing after certain things. But I mean, it's it reminds you of like when. When a child comes and is lying to you, and the child has no, the child has no appreciation for the fact that you know things. You know, what I mean, they're just they're just saying whatever comes to their mind, and that they think they can say whatever, and that and that you're and sitting there. And work. You're, you know what I mean? This is this is the. I mean, the child is proud. This is the same child who plays hide and seek by covering their own eyes. Right. Yeah, I mean and, and some of right. I mean but I mean but this you know, I mean it is the incredible pride of that child to think that they can look at you and say things as if you as if you don't know anything. And this is what's going on is I mean they're acting like they can say whatever they want to say and it is true. And then someone points out something that's inconsistent and they just make up the next they just make up the next lie. Well, I'll explain it in this way. And it doesn't matter whether it matches because in the end, this is pride. I can say whatever I want to say, and it is true. Even things that that are being embraced now that might seem secondary, like, you know, accepting that transvestites are are not a mental illness, but are a real thing that somebody should be allowed to. It says in Deuteronomy 22.5, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. You know, even pushing that and saying that you have to allow them to do this. This is cruel to them. This is hatred to them. I mean, it's really, 
rejected God. God has said it's an abomination, and they're going, you must allow it. Well, that that really is saying God is not the lawgiver. We're the lawgiver. We get to make the rules. There is no one that holds us accountable, which is a very, very proud position. I mean, and you really, I mean, when you look at transvestitism, it's really interesting because it's in it's 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 a form of it is dress up, and there is a part of it where what God says in Deuteronomy is, "I dress you." I've decided how, you know, I mean, God's like, I made you, and I created you to be certain things. Which I, is, I mean, Genesis 3. Right. He literally dresses. Right, he, right, he says, right, I took you, right, whenever you needed clothing, I put clothing on you, and I made you for a purpose. And I mean, he's saying, I made you so that there, there is clothing that is for women, and there is clothing that is for men, and I get to dress you. And this is just, this is, and if this offends you, you're proud. If it offends you that God gets to choose what men and women wear, you're proud because you don't want to acknowledge he's God. And this is how basic it is, is this is how it ties to pride. As you go, no, when I desire something, I have to be able to do it. No, you don't. Would you, you know, it's kind of like the kid, you know, nor- a daughter, normally a daughter who, you know, it's Sunday morning, and like, this is what you're going to wear. And she's like, no, I'm going to wear this. Like, well, actually... <laughs> no, you're not. And it's just pride saying, I had decided what I want to wear, and that's what I'm going to wear, and I'm going to be right. mad at you if you don't let me do that. And, and some, you know, oh, where did the other outfit go? I don't know. I don't know where it is. I lost <laughs> yeah. it. You know, I, I, it, something happened to it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, but I mean, in the end, I mean, it is, it is incredibly simple. God is God, and we are not. We are the creature. He is the creator. And all of these things come back to that. And all these things come back to the idea that you want to, destroy those things that remind you of the reality of God. Marriage reminds you of the reality of God, so you have to destroy marriage. Genders remind you of the reality of God, so you have to say it's a social construct, construct, so you say man is God, right? That's the whole idea of the gender stuff is man is God. We get to decide what gender is. It's not something that was done in creation. It's not something that nature points out. We did it. It's a social construct. And so we do all these things to say, there is no God. And as a nation, when you're busy saying there is no God in these very overt ways that are very specific and you know, sodomy, there's a reason why God rained fire and brimstone on sodomy or on Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't because he, he thought that, oh, these aren't special sins. He's going, when you raise up and you put yourself in the place of God, there is special judgment for that. There is special destruction that comes. Because there's there's the pride of just being filled with with lust and being filled with uh, chasing after the flesh and other things that causes real problems. But that is different than the act of deliberate, intentional destruction of those things that God put in the world to remind us there is a God. Because we're, because we're talking about Pride Month, there's an aspect of that. Pride Month is rooted in homosexuality. And it's very easy for people to forget that that's pride that drives that. That really is just the base thing of pride that drives it. But what happens is, is once you decide you can do all these, other, you can do those things, your pride has no limits. Your pride has no bounds. And so you start seeing all sorts of things that, like, you know, as a nation, you go, I don't have to acknowledge other nations' rights. You start doing things like going, we don't have to let people, you know, like where in nations, some countries are starting to do things like saying farmers can't grow their crops because of, because they're causing, you know, they're causing ecological problems for there to be farmers. 
You, you mean the United States of America? <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, and where you see in, well, in like, like Netherlands, where, in the, right, where, they're, where, they're, where the farmers are coming in and driving in and bringing their tractors in because they're literally just shutting down farms and saying, we're going to stop you. You know, we're going to stop you from from farming if you don't comply with these regulations. And so, I mean, there's this part of it where you have to understand there's not a difference between those things. There's a where you go, I will not be limited by the boundaries that you have placed upon me. I will not be limited by what God has said I should do. I, I can reach into families and do what I want to. I can reach into other countries and do what I want to. I can take away individuals, you know, their, their rights. I can, I can suspend customs. I can, I can change times and seasons, and I can do whatever I want to do. And there's a huge swath of things that, as we go through here, we're going to talk about some of, that we can see where pride has led us to think we're God. You know, so when you, when you talk about this, you know, we're talking about Pride Month. Go back and read Romans 1 and read it carefully because the order matters. It's the, the homosexuality is not the first sin. It's not the, the leading edge of things. And then all the other terrible stuff happens afterward. No, it's the judgment of God that happens after those first sins. And the sins are, well, they don't honor God as God or give thanks. You know, pride comes first. And the fact that God gives them over to these vile passions is an indicator of his judgment on them. So, so you know, trying to segue into what you want to talk about, right. it's pretty obvious that we are a country that has on us the signs of judgment that we are a proud people in this one really specific area that God says he was going to do. So the question is just, well, what other ways are we proud and, it, and, and when he turns you over to that, it leads to even greater acts of pride, you, right? Yeah, it, it just keeps spiraling. And I mean, I think one of the clearest one is climate change. I mean, President Biden this week, I believe, is now putting in regulations that is increasing the requirement so that, what, 98% of all top-loading clothes washers will be illegal. He's making it so that gas stoves are going to be outlawed. He's put in all these different electrical requirements and restrictions on, like, every appliance I mean, all this stuff is going into effect to do climate change because climate change is the idea that man controls the climate, man controls the world, man can destroy the world. He has the power that clearly he doesn't have. It's laughable when you think about it. Man is just a speck on the earth. We don't have nearly the power that's assigned in climate change. But yet, through this, President Biden is doing things that will basically completely destroy the economy. And yet, People are going, well, you have to do this because we have to We have to be the savior. We have to save the planet. Even though it's completely laughable, it's ridiculous, China is producing a lot more pollution than we are. India is. I mean, you just look at it, and we're even, even the United States, we're just like not the biggest producer, but yet they turn around and go, we're the ones that have to solve the problem. Yeah, it's just I mean, such a level of pride that's unbelievable. Yeah, because even if you buy all their science, you know, the U.S. limiting ourselves in all these ways is going to do nothing because and and because and, it's, you know, the third world countries that are, you know, putting out a lot more stuff than the U.S. is. And we have the idea that, well, we can be so convincing that we can convince these countries to stay as third world countries with a far lower standard of living because we're so convincing that we're going to be able to explain to them how they need to do this and not, you know, advance their civilization. You know, that's how great we are and so, you know, persuasive we are. And we're not even smart enough. I, I was in Nigeria when the COVID stuff was going on at one point. And, you know, the, the U.S., I believe the U.S. government was giving a lot of money to Nigeria to deal with COVID. 
And so they were going to, you know, do vaccination programs or something. And the president of the state that I was in, which was Plateau State, came along and said, you know what? We're getting this money. Malaria is a problem. We'll take their money. We'll use it to spray for mosquitoes. And so they think, I mean, like the American politicians are thinking people are using this on the ground to fulfill what they think. But they're just conning them out of money is all that it really is. I mean, it's just not None of it's true. And you look so at the in tra- that case, it probably helped a lot more people. Oh, it helped a lot more people <laughs> right. I'm not, because they actually, the government had to answer to people. But they also got a lot of fina- uh, you know, financial support and material goods that they took to basically bribe people for the next election. So, right. you know, but you look at the politicians and you they act like the third world countries are buying this. They're not buying it. They recognize that it's just a way to take money from fools. So there's been something that has been for years where we've talked about equality under the law. That, you know, every person, there will be one law and everyone will be treated the same under the law. And we haven't actually done that for a long time because in the end we've had multiple laws for different things and we've had all these different different regulations, variations. But now we're coming back and we're, now we're even tweaking it further and going, we can change justice fundamentally so we can have what they'll call equity, which is the same outcome for everyone. So not only, you know, so if you have two people, it doesn't matter their background, it doesn't matter anything else. If they both go through the same training program, if they both have the same experience, they should both get the same exact grade. They should both have the same amount of intelligence at the end of the time. And how you measure their intelligence, it should be, it should show you that they have exactly the same outcome from this experience. No matter, no matter what else is going on, you should be able to equalize everything in the world so that the result is the same for everyone. And man doesn't have this power. Man doesn't have this authority. Man can't do this. And God even speaks about it very specifically that it's his in Deuteronomy 28, verses 2 through 4. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. I mean, and really pay attention to that. These blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. This is not these blessings will be your doing. It is these blessings shall come upon. God will make these blessings to come upon you. And they are not equitable in the way that we are talking about with identical outcome. This is God does not guarantee it. In fact, he guarantees the opposite, that he will bless. And there's corollary verses to these that talk about curses it's clear that God says, I'm the one who gives increase. I'm the one who rewards. I'm the one who punishes. I cause calamity. I bring death. I bring reward. And it is not man. I mean, it's really important when people talk about how you know, women's wages are less than men's wages. To recognize the root of that is to say that God is not God. I mean, because it's easy to not think that way. But the reality is that women prefer things that have more human interaction. They, you know, men prefer things that have less human interaction, that have more, you know, material things. And they have a real different level of production because of that. And because of that, they have a real different level of reward. But yet they're saying that you have to equalize, you know, equal pay, equal work. Well, it doesn't work that way because it's not equal pay. It's not equal work. You're measuring different jobs, different occupations, and though they say, oh, women earn 87 cents for every dollar that a man earns. Well, yeah, but that's comparing completely different things. But they're saying 
they should be able to reorder the world to produce the way they want it to produce. That's an incredibly arrogant statement. I mean, it's so easy to forget the arrogancy that's embedded in that statement. I mean, it's it's arrogant even to say that you can you know understand what it should be. You, know, you can yes. understand you know for one people or a you know statistical demographic you know group of people to say that this is the outcome that they should have that this is the right outcome. You know, it's it's to even say that you should know what you know what goal you're going towards if you're going to put. You know, this is what this person should get. I mean, that's in- incredible arrogance. You know, much less to say that you know you can you can make up rules that are going to be you know, that are going to be better at achieving that outcome. You know, that's that's pretty 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 prideful stuff. I mean, it's it's like Jordan Peterson, right? I mean, one of the things that made him famous is that he, you know, the woman says, "Well, why aren't there as many members in government that are female as male?" And he goes, "Why are you comp- asking about that? What about bricklayers? Ninety nine percent of all bricklayers are male. Why aren't you saying fifty percent of bricklayers need to be female?" Which is exactly your point. It's not saying it across the board. It's saying we get the cherry pick that in this place, in this time, they have to be equal. And it's just an arrogancy that, that man can even possibly begin to do that. We don't know nearly enough to be able to do it. I mean, this goes back to something that Jonathan said earlier about how by the time God turns you over to this debased mind, you've already made a lot of You've already made a lot You've of You've already decisions. rejected God. And there's this part of it where so you're taking, we read the verse, you know, male, yet God made man in his own image, male and female created he them. So God takes something that God made to be male and female to be joined together and become one flesh. So there's these, this, there's already this thing that God designed to this context. And so the government comes in and says, everyone's an individual and everyone has to be identical. So they all have to go out and get jobs and they all have to have jobs in the same way. So we're going to take what should be this unit and we're going to pull it apart. And then we're going to treat it. And now we're going to say, wait a minute, why isn't it behaving exactly the same in every scenario? Well, you know what I mean? And they're so far away. We mean, we're looking at this and we're we're arguing about 87 cents versus a dollar when God goes, all of this is garbage. You're pretending like this is how the world's supposed to be because you've been saying you can define, you can design the world to your likeness for a long time. You've already made a ton of exchanges before you get to the point where you say two men can get married. And so, I mean, we're, 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 the church is now bickering with the world over the world's constructs and saying, well, you're not glorifying God in your false, in your false view of man. Guess what? It'll never glorify God from that, either way they're creating it. And most churches have, have basically accepted the same thing, right? right? They accept there is no male, there is no female. They allow females into positions that God clearly reserves for males and says it's a responsibility so it doesn't tear the two apart, right? Women stay silent in church, so they, they should ask their husbands at home, which is clearly saying that, that the church shouldn't be tearing apart that relationship, but instead we turn around and we tear apart the relationship exactly the same way that the state does. And we think that we're being holy instead of thinking, no, these churches, they're rejecting God as well. And they are being prideful as well. God says one thing, stay silent in churches, and they're going, that's not right. That's not just. How dare God treat women that way? It must have just been applying to the church in Corinth, even though Paul says, in accordance with the law, which basically destroys that argument completely. But yet, churches are rejecting God, and people should really understand the pride that it takes for a church that says, let's read the scripture, and then they read a verse of scripture, and then they go, yeah, but that doesn't apply. That's that's as bad as that's pride. That's as bad and as much pride as 
when the Supreme Court passed Obergefell and said two men can marry. I'm pushing for equity, you know, for, of, of outcomes. Another element of the pride that goes into that is saying that we can eliminate judgment, God's judgment from the world. You know, that we can say that we're going to set it up so that you'll have this equality of outcomes. Not saying, and saying that God cannot judge. You know, God can't judge a particular person. He can't judge a group of people. We are able to set things up so that we can make it that everyone gets what we think they deserve. Yeah, I mean, and that, that idea of that we become the judge of all the earth. I mean, this is, we're seeing this in other ways, right? In the U.S., people are going, oh, who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? But that's not what they're saying in the rest of the world. It's obvious who did it. It was the U.S. that did it. There's no, I mean, there's whistleblowers now that say the U.S. did it, but it's obvious we're the only ones that had both the capability, the access, and the motive. And that said we so would do is, it. <laughs> yeah. And so, so this is the pipeline from Russia to, to Europe. Right. A gas pipeline that blew up last year under mysterious circumstances. Mysterious circumstances, even though there were American ships around it like 30 days before. So it wasn't that mysterious of circumstances. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence. And the U.S. is the one that has the motive. But if you're saying, well, it's so important to constrain Russia, that it doesn't matter if we cause Germany to be cold for, for a few winters. So what if they have to suffer with 40 degree temperature in their homes? That's their tough luck. But if they had that gas coming in that they could turn on at any time, then, you know, the, the German government would fall. So then we wouldn't be able to do what we want to do in Ukraine. And so there's this whole thing that has gotten to the point where the U.S. thinks that whatever it does is just in the world. And it can. And this is the same as President Clinton bombing the, the aspirin factory or the, the medical factory where he killed people for no purpose, you know. Our presidents, this has been going on for a long time, that our presidents don't hesitate to commit murder. I mean, we just need to accept that. And as a nation, we're not saying this is an abomination. We go, well, as long as we don't know about it. And, and it really is a huge problem that we're that proud that we think that we can act as, as the policemen of the world. I mean, it's an incredibly proud thing when God's very clear in Romans 13 that he assigns avengers of wrath, and we're not the avenger of wrath of Ukraine. And so why are we killing people in Ukraine? Why are we supplying all those weapons so that people die in Ukraine? It becomes a real a real big problem, and it be, and the heart of it is we think we're God of the world. And God's jealous, and we should remember that. This view that, that in the end we're taking the place of God is, you can see this in Psalms 7, 10 through 11. My defense is of God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So, I mean, very clear who the judge of the earth is. It's very clear who is the judge. And it's also clear that, I mean, that last sentence, God is angry with the wicked every day. We need to ask our, I mean, the, pro, the proud person goes, not me. He couldn't That's be angry exactly with me. where America, I think, right. is. And so, I mean, and it's like, no, you can be the wicked. You can be the person he is angry with. Stop being foolish. Stop thinking you can do whatever you want. Stop assuming that you are God's anointed. Jesus Christ is God's anointed. America is not. And that is really, really important. But we have the rise of sodomy. We have the rise of the destruction of gender. We have all these other things. And I think you see this in churches still, that you know America is a special anointed people. Instead of, no, we are, as a nation, we are the wicked. And we need to, like, come to grips with that. And the church needs to start coming to grips with that and saying that. When you're murdering 
you know, how many million babies, 60 million babies or whatever, since Roe versus Wade was, was, was uh, adjudicated. You know, at what point will the church in America go, we are in the midst of a wicked and perverse people, that we are the wicked people that deserve the wrath of God. We deserve fire and brimstone exactly as Sodom and Gomorrah did. And when does the church start to say this to other people? Because we act like there is no just judge of the earth. The church doesn't go, you know, when we go to the abortion clinics and things like that, we go, don't murder your child instead of, we're a nation that sacrifices children to, to a false God. God has destroyed nations before that did this. We should expect our destruction. And the church doesn't have the boldness to say this because the church has bought a lot of rhetoric from the state and that they're, I think a lot of churches aren't that sure who's God, whether it's the state, you know, especially like George Bush's thousand points of light and stuff where they're begging. He's, he's has an expectation that churches will beg the state for money because they don't believe that God is the provider. They think the state is. And so there's a general attitude in this country in the churches in this country that the state is God. And we should, the true church needs to rise up and say, that is not true. God is a God who judges. I kind of mentioned this earlier when I was talking about equity and equality, about how there's an idea of there's, there's one law, but this is, this is really fundamental to a nation's sense of justice. And so, I mean, this isn't just in social programs where you say we're going to have equity with outcomes. This is also where you end up going, we're going to have different laws. And you can see in Exodus twelve forty nine, one of the things when, when Israel comes out of Egypt, Israel's a mixed is a mixed group. I mean, it's not just Israelites that come out of Egypt. There, there are Egyptians that come out with them. There are people from other nations. It, Egypt would have been one of the most powerful nations on earth because of Joseph, because of the things that God had, because of the ways that God had blessed Egypt, because of the righteous among them. That Egypt had been elevated. And they were setting up Pharaoh so they could right, show his. That justice. Egypt had been raised up to this high. So when when God destroys Egypt and just completely destroys Egypt in every way, and when Israel comes out. There are a lot of nations with them. And one of the things that God teaches them, this group of people who have been slaves, who are now a nation of them in their own right, he says, here's one of the things that you need to understand. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. And this is, I mean, just God saying, you understand, I'm not going to allow you to say, we'll have the Israelites who will be holy, we'll have one law for us, and then all these other dirty Gentiles and others who aren't Israelites that are among us, we will have a different law for them. No, this is this is not something that God allows. But you can see over the last, where you talk about how, I don't know, the last, what, 30, 40, 50 years? Where, I mean, it's been going on for a long time. It's, but it's, it's accelerated gotten, a lot in the last few years. Where the, the, the government has been using its power to be tyrannical, which is to say using its power in inconsistent ways where it punishes one group and it rewards another group without without applying the law fair or equally at all. And we can be pretty precise about it, too, because, right, like 98% of the people in Washington, D.C. are Democrats. And most of the enforcement of this stuff is coming from Washington, D.C. So where there it says there shall be one law for the native-born and the stranger that dwells among you. In the United States context, we can put that as one law shall be for the Democrats and for the Republicans that dwell among you. Because that's basically what is happening. So you have the Black Lives Matter people, where 
there they can destroy federal buildings. There they can kill people. There they can have riots. They can t- shut down streets day after day after day. And they go, these are mostly peaceful riots. This is the right? summer of love, right? The summer of love. These are basically peaceful protests where, yeah, people get beat up, people die. You know, those are just side things. The real thing is it's a peaceful protest. And then you have the people who do bad things, but probably on average in terms of a percentage of the crowd, not nearly as bad as the Black Lives Matter at the Capitol. And it's like we need to throw people in prison there without even trying them and keep them in prison for years without a trial. Well, these are just these are like completely different laws. And they've even set up the system so that there are different laws. If if uh, who's the guy? Stephen Colbert, if Stephen Colbert's people go into the Capitol, they get tried in one court at the same time. Right. Right. Same time. Same situation. A few months apart, Stephen Colbert's people go in. They get tried in one court. The people for January 6th, they get tried in a different court. Well, that's two laws. And that's that's basically saying that you get to be the lawgiver, that you get to make up your own laws, that you can treat people however you want. And and God is not pleased with this. This is a very dangerous thing to do in the eyes of God. And we saw this sort of thing. You talk about equality. You saw this all over the place with the COVID restrictions. So it's not even something you just have to blame federal government for. Your local government was taking cues from the federal government and and running those same kinds of things and deciding this kind of business, this is an essential business, this must stay open. This sort of business, like your churches, not essential businesses. We're going to shut them all down. Churches, not essential businesses. The pot shops that opened two years ago, they're essential businesses. In most states, they were left open. Right. The Walmart can stay open, but the mom and pop shop has to close. Right. You know, I mean, just favoritism for, for larger corporations, shutting down. I mean, it was just, but just going, we can do what we want. We, we can do what we're not constrained. We don't have, we don't have limits on our authority. I mean, you know, the, it's just now, I mean, uh, so, uh, uh, Stephen Horn, uh, your son, the local who's been doing independent journalism covered two years ago during the thing we went out and we protested, uh, you know, when the governor had orders that he clearly didn't have authority to implement. And so we go and we protest, the police come out they tell people they're not allowed to protest. If they don't leave the parking lot, even if they sit inside their car, they will be arrested. Well, they show the body. He finally, the body cam footage from that day gets released. The police are standing around, no masks, joking and laughing. You hear them talking about the fact that the only reason they're doing this is because the, he told them they shouldn't protest, and they told him, we're going to protest anyway. He says, make sure when we go arrest them, you put on face masks so, this, so I can argue that this is a health-based order. One of them goes, we don't have them. We don't. Ha- I mean, I mean, it's a total farce. It's a you know, and, and you're just seeing it. And you're watching it, and you're going, "This is." They they tweet protesting as a non-essential activity. And inherent in all that is, there is no one watching. There is no one that has the power to do anything about it. And the church just needs to understand the level of guilt that it bears, because when they're saying there is no one that can do anything about this, right? I mean, that's basically what their view is. The governor, governor can say whatever he wants. The federal government, he thought, would back them up, back him up so they can do whatever they want, and there is no judge on the earth. And that's because we, re- we don't retain God in our knowledge. And it's a real sin in the church, and the sin in the way the church is speaking to the society. When the society does not retain God in its knowledge, it's because the church isn't speaking of who God is. 
and we instead go, you know, Jesus loves you, this I know, right? That's what the church says. Only sung better than that. (laughs) Even, you know, one of the things that struck me as I was thinking about this this afternoon is just how much the whole fear of AI is driven by the idea that there is no God and that the people are so confident that they're God that they think they can make someone in their own image. I mean, this is really an arrogancy and a pride that's embedded in, and my guess is, is that fear is largely focused in the United States. I mean, people in most other countries aren't really worried about AI taking over the world. It's probably primarily in the United States because we have a different level of how much we think we're God than most other nations. We should recognize how special America is in, in our view that we are God. There's a lot of European countries that are close, but I think we exceed them all. At least that's what the Europeans say about Americans. <laughs> Whether it's true or not, they definitely have a view that Americans are very proud and haughty. And and I think it's, you know, when you look at our foreign policy, it's very hard for them to to not say that we're proud and haughty. I mean, it's just, we are. I mean, I'm not sure where else you go from there, is that, that we treat the other people in the world as if we're the only ones that matter. I mean, and a lot of this, I think, comes from, in the end, the church is very proud. We've, you know, we want to deny that we have the responsibility to raise our children, and yet we want to be, we, you know I mean, we, we want to deny all these things that God has ordered us to do, all these things that he has commanded us, his people, to do. I think we should go more blunt than that in the sense that we, the church doesn't want to retain God in its knowledge. That's why the state doesn't. And yes, I mean, I understand that it manifests itself in certain behaviors. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But the reality is the church doesn't want to, like Psalm 2. Psalm 2, 1 through 6 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. We don't, the church doesn't go, you're going out there and you're saying that, that a man can control the climate. This is ridiculous. God is sitting in the heavens and mocking you. He's laughing at you because this is so ridiculous. Instead, most churches go, yeah, that's probably true. Right, I mean, and it's, it is that fundamental that we don't understand what God is doing in America. We don't see it. And, and people who profess to be Christians, most don't see what God is doing. God's laughing at America. He's not going, ooh, America are my chosen people. He's going, who do these idiots think they are? And he's, he's up in heaven mocking us. And yet the church, should, who has a duty to be declaring, God is mocking us for this. When we go, there aren't two genders. Does God? Do we really think God is going? Oh wow! I thought I made them male and female, and now they've discovered something new. No, that's not what God is doing. He's going. This is what idiots look like when I take my revelation away from them. That's what He's doing. And the church, instead of treating these things as they should be treated, as a sign of God's wrath, as a sign of the coming judgment, the coming increased judgment, because obviously judgment is already here. They, they look at it and take these things. They remove God out of the equation when they make their arguments, so their arguments carry about as much weight, and they have the same problem that the, the, the view of the government is, which is that it's God, and we go, there is no God. 
when we speak to the government, when we speak to the society, instead of, look, things are, of course we should expect there to be more drug overdoses. Of course we should expect children to mutilate themselves. Of course we should expect all these things. This is what happens to a people who forget there's a God. But the church doesn't say that. And what I was kind of meaning was, even when you strip away what you'd call the liberal church, and you get down to the people who are even the ones who do know these things, what happens is is we're afraid of the government. You know what I mean? We'll go, they're wrong, but we also are afraid to speak out because we're afraid of what the God of this world will do to us, in a sense. We're afraid of that, you know, we'll be persecuted. We're afraid that we'll, you know what I mean? In the end, so even though when you come down to it, even those who, who know, it's so easy for us to be cowed by our fear because we've been affected by the pride of the world. We've been affected by the pride of the government. We've been affected by this pride and that we see them as being more powerful than they are. And we just need to be, we should tremble in fear because Christ says, he who denies me before men, I will deny before the Father. Right. And we and we basically acknowledge that the, the government is God, that it has the ability to stand in the place of God, that it has the ability to do these things. We're basically denying Christ, and we can very much pretend like we're not, but when we deny God, we're denying Christ. And when we look and we say, oh, look at how powerful the government is, really, the government's going to fall. I mean, this, this, the, the ridiculous things they're doing are not sustainable. You cannot continue to run in this direction. You cannot run up a $38 trillion debt and not have the government collapse. We need to just stop acting like they're so powerful. They're not. They're a house of cards that's going to fall. And the church needs to start speaking truth so that there's something there when it falls. I mean, there is a hopeful path in, in this. When you read your New Testament, it talks about the Old Testament things, and it says those things were given to us as examples. And the examples that God gives us are, here's how I act in certain situations. God is not a God of, of great mysteries in that kind of a sense. He does have many things he keeps secret, but God is, he, he is willing to show his hand over and over and over and say, when you do this, I do this. And I'll give you many case studies in the past of where I did that. And I told them it was going to happen, and it happened. And then you get to the New Testament, Paul says, and those things were examples for us. So the, the church does have an opportunity, if the church would be willing, to read its scripture. And, and most importantly, kind of circling all the way back to, most importantly, if the church would be willing to locate who we are in those given stories, which character is the church, which character is America, which character is a given congregation, you know, what role are you playing in those stories that were given as examples for you? And don't always read yourself as the white hat guys. That's kind of been our message is that in many ways that, well, in all of the cases we've talked about, we're wearing the black hat and that's dangerous. We're wearing the black hat and we're so blinded by our own conceit that we think it's white. Is it really even a hat? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> We're probably, it's more like, yeah, the king's, you know, the, the story about the king's garments where they don't even exist. <laughs> I mean, one of the things is, is you know, when you're, when you're a young man, you hear the stories of Daniel having the opportunity to stand or having, you know, other people, and you see those stories and you go, I hope one day I have such an opportunity. And part of what you're saying is, is 
we're nowhere near the stakes that Daniel was in. We're nowhere near the stakes in some ways that they were in. But this is our opportunity. I mean, God is giving. Or God, maybe we are. I mean, we're just too blind to it. I just mean what I mean is, is most of us aren't being threatened to be thrown directly into a, a den of lions. Oh, at I this was moment. thinking more like Daniel when he first goes to Babylon and right. he's told eat the king's dainties right. or not. That's exactly I think exactly the level. that's that where is we exactly are. So, the level. Yeah, yes. So if you're talking about the lions den, eighty years later, I agree we're right. not there, but we are the same place as Daniel one. Right. And so, I mean, there's this part of it where, I mean, God is giving his people an opportunity. And I think there's this, one of the things is, is if you, we act like our fear of speaking out is a fear of God, and it's not. If we feared God, we would understand that he can, I mean, he says, I deliver the righteous. Go and speak boldly. I mean, look at Paul, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. I mean, there's this part of it where you're really having an opportunity to see what you have faith in. If you see yourself having fear, what if I do this? I'm gonna. This is what's gonna happen to me. This is your opportunity to to, to see whether you have faith. This is your chance to go. Am I one of the faithful? Because it's really easy to go. Of course, I'm one of the faithful. But how do you measure that? And the, the way you measure it is: Do you respond in fear and fear of the world and worship them and say, "I won't, I won't say the things you tell me to say," or do you obey your Father? Do you obey God in heaven? And I mean, there is just this real. This is a blessing for the church. This is an absolute blessing because when we look at persecution, we go, oh, no, persecution. But God says persecution is what I use to strengthen my church, to show you that you actually have faith. And so, Well, he uses it to divide his church is a better way to put it. Sure. Because he uses, he uses persecution to show who is approved. Right. He creates divisions through persecution to show who's approved. And who has faith? Who has faith? Right. right. That's, what, but, that's what I was meaning by. Yeah, yes. I know. I, and I'm just saying that the way he does that isn't you go and look at a church and go, oh, they have faith. What he, the way he usually does it is he cuts the churches into pieces and then goes, oh, this little piece here, they were the ones with faith. And he's been doing it. I mean, he's been. He did it know, with COVID. He did, I mean, and it's been happening. You can see some of these things starting to happen where there's a part of it where he's dividing and he's saying, will you, will you care about these things or will you? Chase after the Republican Party, which isn't the answer either, right? I mean, it's right. chase after righteousness, not not the party. When we look at what Paul wrote in Romans 1 about how when they don't want to retain God in their knowledge, they exchange God for, you know, the truth of God for a lie, and it brings the rise of homosexuality and other things. God also talks about, or Paul writes, through revelation from God, Paul writes that that. You know, other things that show up, too. And I think a lot of those things we accept in the church. And we don't accept them in the church thinking this is a sign that we we've, aren't retaining God in our knowledge. Because we read up to verse 27 of Romans 1, but I want to read the next five verses. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to the base mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. How much is sexual immorality accepted in the church? Wickedness, covetousness, how much is covetousness accepted in the church? Maliciousness, I've seen lots of churches where there's like really people that are pretty malicious towards other people and the church does nothing, full of envy. I've, you know, I've been in churches a lot. I've seen lots of envy in churches. I haven't seen any murder in church, which is good. I have heard of things close to that, but I haven't seen any murder. Strife, how many churches are there explosions in where people are fighting with each other and they're I mean, it's not like the church isn't experiencing these same things. Deceit, evil-mindedness. 
They are whisperers. How much gossip happens in churches? Backbiters. How many people are tearing down other people in churches? Haters of God. Understand you can't be a backbiter and hate your neighbor and try to destroy your neighbor and still love God. That's not possible. Those two in contradictions. If you don't love the brother who you see, you don't love God who you don't see, as it says in 1 John. Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Disobedience to parents. How many churches except the children are supposed to disobey their parents. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. These things are so widely accepted in the churches, we have to recognize these are a sign that you aren't retaining God in your knowledge. Right? Sodomy is the obvious one, but the ones that you see in church, yeah, churches, most things that we would even call a church, we would say that they have to reject sodomy. But how many of them still allow these other things and don't think that it's a big deal? When reality, what it is is saying there is no God. Undiscerning. Who, undiscerning. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean that's. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, right? So now you're almost talking about the church, those who have the word of God, those who say the word of God is authoritative, but yet they don't do anything about it when people aren't doing this thing. Knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such thing of deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's where the church is. When the church sits there and allows these things within the church, that's how you get the United States to be as proud as it is, because the churches are as proud as they are. The churches aren't willing to say, wait a second, that parent won't use the rod on their child. They're clearly not a Christian and put them out. How many churches would say that that's what you do, but that's what you should do? If they don't care enough about their children to discipline them, they clearly do not know Christ. But yet we want to make God so small. We want to make the power of the Holy Spirit so little. We want to make the effect of God in the world so minimal that we go, oh, no, they're good Christians. No, they're not. They have no testimony of knowing Christ. Yes, if you confront them and sin, they might repent because they do know Christ, but instead the church just ignores it because the church doesn't want to retain God in its knowledge. So the church is proud. The church says, no, these people are Christians, even though the testimony the it's clear in the world is they are not Christians. They are the sign of the cursing of God that he gives upon a people that don't want to retain him in their knowledge. And yet the churches go, we're following the word of God. The state is walking in darkness because the church is walking in darkness. We've been talking about pride in America and what we should expect and what, what we're already seeing. We're already seeing destruction coming upon our nation because we've raised ourselves up about, against God and said, that as a nation, we can replace God. We can be the judge. We can be the, the provider. We can be the one that provide, gives an increase. We, we can be the ones who are just without considering what God says. And yet, we should remember what it says in Proverbs 16, 18, and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. The church in America needs to be really careful about how much we enjoy the, the abundance of bread and the abundance of idleness that we have in this country when we're really, just disp- we're really just dividing the spoil with those who despise God and those who are rejecting him and those who will be judged by him. The church in America needs to learn to fear God more. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online 
at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.